Hello, gang. God, you know, I'm just going to leave it. Hello, gang. Uh, today is, um, let's see, now that I've got my phone, today is Wednesday, December 3rd, 2014. This is episode 115 of the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. My name is Luke Thomas, and uh, this is on MMAfighting.com and on YouTube and a bunch of other places. Coming to you live from the Vox Media Headquarters in Washington, D.C. Uh, thank you for joining me today on the docket. UFC 181 is in three days. We'll break that down, especially the main event, co-main event, Robbie Lawler, Johnny Hendricks rematch, and of course the UFC lightweight title on the line, Gilbert Melendez and Anthony Pettis, uh, although a bunch more fights as well. Bigger news, UFC has managed to scoop themselves, although it's uh, understandable why. A new UFC and Reebok uniform has co- is coming out. It was announced yesterday. And of course, with that, a new uniform policy that has, um, you know, uh, I mean, you cannot understate how profound an impact this is going to have on sponsorships. does not go into effect until July of 2015, but a lot to talk about right now. Best place to get your questions in, of course, is MMAfighting.com. Uh, if you would be so kind, please tweet this out. Facebook, it use any form of social media, Instagram, uh, whatever you can use, Google+, uh, Vine, uh, anything that's out there, please share it. That's the most important key. Put this on Reddit, uh, the, the MMA subreddit on the underground, on Sherdog.net, anywhere you can. I'd greatly appreciate that. Um, and uh, let's see, what do I have today? Diet Barks, which can only be described as battery acid, a.k.a. an IPA, a.k.a. cough syrup. But caffeine's caffeine. Um, all right, so with that being said, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Yeah, we are. So here's how this is going to work. I'm definitely going to get to all your questions, or at least the most that I can. Um, and I promise not to go too long. But what we have here today, it seems to me, is a very unusual situation. We have today um, a moment where we don't actually have that much information, but we have a change of monumental proportions in how it affects the sport, how it affects uh, basically all the organizations, quite, quite candidly, um, the MMA apparel economy, fighters themselves and while we have limited information we have enough to at least start asking some pointed questions and it's funny that someone did this earlier or i should say somewhere in the comments section on this live chat somebody asked me are you a fan of the ufc it's hard to tell that was the question it should be hard to tell right because i'm not um for that matter i'm not a fan of bellator i'm not a fan of legacy i'm not a fan of uh, World Series of Fighting. I'm not a fan of K1 Heroes. I'm not a fan of Pride. I'm a fan of the sport. Um, but I'm not a fan. And if you're expecting a fan to get up here and tell you things, I don't know what you're doing. You're not going to get accurate information. Someone who is a fan of the Washington Redskins or a fan, more specifically, of RG3 is going to tell you he's a good quarterback. Or if someone is a fan of, um, I don't know, George Bush, you're not going to get an accurate picture. If someone was a fan of Barack Obama, you're not going to get an accurate picture. You need someone who actually is not, right? So I want to sort of establish that up front. Not that I have any animosity per se, but when it comes to Bellator or UFC or any MMA organization, I am not a fan, period. End of story. Um, there are some sports organizations I am a fan of, and there are athletes I'm a fan of, but I don't cover them professionally for that very reason. Let's establish that as a baseline of conversation. Now, we have 
this sponsorship deal, um, which is um, hard to understate, or rather I should say overstate, uh, all, all that it means. So I made a list last night of all the issues that I have, some issues being concerns and some merely being questions. Some of these issues or questions are partly about outcomes, and some are merely about the process by which we came to the information. So they're not all equivalent questions. In other words, each one holds the same exact importance. Feel to figure. I mean, if you're a reasonable, rational person, you'll be able to figure it out. But understand that's what's going to. I'm going to read you these because I looked through what I had, and I looked through what all your questions were. There were a couple that were different, and I'll get to those. But I'm just going to start with breaking this down as I understand it. And I believe this will cover 95% of your questions. And if they don't, you can email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com and I'll write you a hand-typed response. But I believe we're going to cover most of this. So as you know, it starts July 2015. No other sponsors are allowed um, at all on your clothing at any kind of UFC function, be that a fight, be that a weigh-in, be that a media appearance. You are allowed to wear a suit if you don't want to wear any sort of Reebok gear at a presser, for example. Um, they tell you you are still allowed to keep your sponsors such that they still retain any interest. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, what will this mean for people like Mighty Mouse? We don't know, who has, of course, that exclusive Xbox sponsorship, and they do with a 360 on them. By July, the banners will be gone. Uh, we know that some of the content in terms of the clothes themselves will be differentiated. In other words, there'll be a sort of a, a, a standard... <laughs> uh, identity of the content, of the quality of the work, but we are told that there'll be some differentiation. Of course, we haven't seen any mock-ups, so we don't know what that will be, but whatever. Um, they claim that all the money is going to go to the fighters. We don't know what all that is. Gareth Davis reported it was $70 million for a six-year deal. I did some basic math. That's about $11.7 million per year. If you do about 45 events a year, that's about $260,000 per event. That's about, if you're on a 12-fight card, that's about um, $21,000 or $22,000 maybe, and it's about $10,000 on average. Now, that doesn't how, that's not how it works though, right? So $10,000, $11,000 on average, it, it's not, it doesn't work on average. Champions were told, although it hasn't been confirmed yet, negotiate their own deals, um, and everyone else will go who's ranked 1 to 5 gets a certain amount, 6 to 10 gets a certain amount, 11 15 gets a certain amount, and then 16 on down, all it will appear, get a standard pay rate. Uh, the argument is that this cleans up the sport professionally from an aesthetics standpoint, that it puts them in line with MLS and NBA and MLB and NFL that have these apparel deals. Um, and, it, and also that this deal, UFC claims they're not making any money off of it, that it positions them in the future to then make another apparel deal where the, I, guess, I guess they claim they'll be able to make more money. One final note, a 20% uh, uh return on merchandise that's branded by an athlete. So if Cain Velasquez has this, you know, UFC Reebok gear, but, you know, let's say it's got Mexican imagery from the flag and certain the colors on it, and maybe it's got Velasquez on any kind of, you know, printed, we don't, again, we don't know, but it's got somehow the name Velasquez on it, um, and you really know it's his gear, and people buy that, he gets 20% of that, okay, in perpetuity. So when he retires or presumably leaves the organization, although I don't think Cain Velasquez ever will, but... You get the idea. So that's basically what we know. Beyond that, we don't know much. And again, the $70 million is what Gareth Davies reported. It hasn't been confirmed. Uh, and even he says it's believed to be. I don't know if that means he's hedging his bets or whatever the case may be. So I'm just going to start down the line about what I've got. And again, this touches on most of what you have. Number one, 
Dana White said yesterday that uh, he called roughly 50 fighters. Um, that sounds like a lot. That is less than 10% of the roster. That means in the process of making this deal, 90% or more fighters were not consulted. I find that a bit concerning. Um, also, they were called. What does that mean? They were asked for input. Does that mean they were given a say? Does that mean they helped shape the process? Or does that mean they were told what they were going to do and they were looking for feedback or maybe just positive affirmation? I, mean, I don't know the content of those conversations. I'm just repeating to you what was told to us. Um, but let that be known. 90% or more of the fighters heading into this were not consulted. Number two, again, it wasn't, they didn't, and this, I guess, number two is what was, it was told to them. Like there was no negotiation per se. Everyone sort of says, oh, the, you know, um, Reebok does the, the NHL deal. Well, the NHL, Alex Ovechkin is an employee of his team, which we'll get to the employee versus independent contractor in a minute. And that deal is, too, that deal, by the way, comes up in 2016 and is already worth 200 million a year. And, and they have all kinds of different ways they distribute that money. But he's a member of the NFLP, or excuse me, the NHLPA. That deal was collectively negotiated on the entire NHL's roster of players' behalf. That, that entire process didn't happen here. So it's true that when UFC brass say this is no different in terms of a, a league having a sponsorship deal that prohibits other forms of sponsors you know you don't see uh colin kaepernick putting a uh a verizon logo on his thing he can't do that and that's because of certain ways that the nfl and the nflpa have negotiated but the nflpa has negotiated a lot in favor already to make that jersey deal whether he has when people buy a kaepernick jersey or the the, the deal generally the nike deal itself the 1.1 billion dollar nike deal for i think five years they make money off that on terms that a collective bargaining negotiated. That entire process was not here. None of that was here. Part three, tied to the rankings. It's hard to overstate how problematic this is. Okay. Now, again, so we mentioned one to five is going to get paid a certain amount. Six to 10 is going to pay a certain amount. 11 to 15 is going to get paid a certain amount. Champions were told to negotiate their own deal and the rest will all get money. So part of this deal is that it helps fires in the sense that you won't have guys like Cody McKenzie who went to Walmart and still had tags on his shorts or Matt Wyman who competed most recently and just said, I'm not even going to bother with sponsors. Okay. Um, it helps those guys out. I would argue pretty clearly. They don't have to do anything and they get money every time they step in there. Right. Um, but rankings now. The rankings as they currently stand are comprised of people, and I mentioned this in the MMA beat, the overwhelming majority with a couple of you know ex exceptions like Tim Burke and other people are comprised of people who have absolutely no clue what they're doing. I wouldn't trust their ballot ever on any circumstance on any day of the week and any part of the year ever. Uh, a lot of guys <coughs> who work in radio who, uh, whose opinion on MMA could not be less credible. Dana White said they're going to try, and Renzo Fertitta said they're going to try and narrow that so that it's just credible ethical guys. Well, good luck with that because I don't know who that's going to be. Anybody who is credible and ethical in the space has removed themselves almost without exclusivity from the process. And that the reason why is before even this whole situation, a, a, a journalist who is covering a sport, having direct input and in how a television broadcaster or promotion uses those rankings is a conflict of interest. When you then add on top of that how guys are paid, the, the, the Pandora's box of how badly this could go is hard to overstate. Even if guys are ethical, and even if guys do want to do the right thing, 
if you know someone is financially destitute and knocking on the door of top 10 or top 15, would you may be inclined to vote them in if it's debatable? Not even like a bad call, but debatable. Well, you know, we'll give him 15. We'll give, him a, we'll, give, we'll give this person 10. We'll give this person five. That's just sort of one example among many. Other people said managers might try and influence journalists. That could be the case as well. I don't know. There are ways around this. You could have sort of an anonymous thing going on, but that makes the transparency of the rankings harder to follow. Um, but there are all kinds of problems that could arise by allowing media to then decide who makes money and how much in the sport. To me, that is that is a non-starter. By the way, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, and if I am, please correct me, um, I don't know anybody who was consulted ahead of time about this. Now, maybe they were and they haven't said anything, but and I don't vote and I, I can't. And people are saying, well, why don't you vote now to save these guys some money? Um, the system is not an ethical one. I believe, right? I don't think it's a cesspool of, uh, you know, everything that could go wrong. But what I am saying is you have guys who vote on the system who have no idea what they're doing. I don't think anyone would argue with that. And you have this process now where it's a major conflict of interest. You don't fix a system by endorsing it. You remove yourself from it. I don't, I don't, acknowledge that this is the way to do things and private and people say well that's the same thing as a voter getting out and you know i decline to vote for at least because i don't buy into the system and they're complaining about the result it's not even remotely the same how a how a society builds a government around itself is very different than how a private organization chooses to uh, rank independent contractors the import is of you know categorically not the same thing one is a function of um, entertainment by and large, and the other is about how uh, people are treated before the law, law that affects everyone, uh, in theory, universally. This is, this is not even a conversation that we need to be having. It's a distraction, frankly, and an idiotic point. Sorry, it just is. But if, if you think a system is flawed in terms of how people are ranked and you believe that there are some ethical um, conflicts of interest, you simply don't participate. That, that's how that works. Another issue. What if somebody gets injured and they were number five when they left and they come back and now they're number 15? You've been financially penalized for injury as you dropped. Because I'm not talking about situations like Nate Diaz who was removed from the rankings because he was having a dispute with a promoter. I'm speaking strictly of somebody who just loses spots because if you're not actively competing, your peers in large part, they are, and they will climb and you will sink. And that's how the system should work anyway, but that's the reason why you would, in theory, not want to tie money to that. Um, I, I, do I have any alternatives for a better system? No, but my belief is that a better system would come from the fact that fighters could collectively talk about what they want and that representation could help them decide some possible means and that that could be negotiated with um, UFC management. That, that, to me, would seem like a more equitable solution. Because, you know, what's funny is if, if there was some kind of UFC PA or uh, UFC FA, UFC Fighters Association, and they came out with a deal with these exact same terms, and you didn't like the terms, or maybe you did, but let's say you didn't, who would you blame? You would blame the UFC PA or UFC FA, whatever you want to call it. You would say, listen, guys, it was your job to negotiate on their behalf. You did a very poor job. UFC would be off the hook because these guys would go to the negotiating table and they would say, hey, one side wanted this, one side wanted that. They came to this, they agreed to it. You can't blame them for agreeing to a deal that the exact same other 
people across the table agreed to. But there, th that doesn't exist here. And so anything that's wrong with the deal is going to get pointed to at, at them because no one on this side has any form of representation. Um, so that's one problem with the rankings. Number four, is this good or bad for Bellator? I don't know the answer to that. We'll have to wait and see. On one hand, I could certainly see an argument that, hey, now that there are um, no opportunities or you know, extraordinarily limited, extraordinarily limited opportunities for fighters in terms of gaining sponsorships uh, relative to any kind of UFC occupation uh, or exposure, maybe this will help Bellator, who doesn't have a sponsor tax or um, is up, you know, is on Spike TV once a month, and that there, I, that there's probably some truth to that. But the problem is, Bellator has a limited roster of fighters. They only have 16 events a year. They can't carry any weight relative to what the UFC can do. They can't bring on a bunch of guys and sign them. Um, they don't have enough exposure month over month, I don't think, to really give a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of companies, the same kind of exposure they were getting through UFC pay-per-view or you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I just don't think it's it's not a one-to-one -one transfer. We're talking about one organization that has 90% market share and one that has roughly 10 or less, or maybe 85, 15. You get the idea. It's it's, it's just, They can't just pick up everything that's being dropped off. It doesn't work that way. Um, they might be able to pick up some of it, and I think it's, I think it's a good value add to have in the in the space, but I'm not entirely convinced that while Bellator may benefit, they may benefit some, I think it'll be limited. And the other question is, they can't if this if this in fact does deeply damage the MMA apparel business, Bellator on its own can't fix that. They can't just take on a bunch of UFC fighters who want to leave, and even if they could, they don't have enough exposure month over month um, to give guys the pop that they need. I, I just I just don't I just don't see it. But that one I don't know the answer to. I'll admit that we'll have to sort of see what what happens there. Five, does this in fact kill the MMA company uh, uh, economy? MMA apparel company economy. I don't know the answer to that either. We're going to have to wait and see. But I, if I was in that space, I would be very worried. Wouldn't you be? Yeah? If you were dethrone or a dynamic fastener or something. Well, that's not apparel. But um, if you were dethrone or if you were Hayabusa. I mean, Hayabusa has really evolved. They make things for kickboxing. They make things. They make geese. In fact, um, they make a geese specifically for Bushesha. So they've diversified some of their portfolio of... of um, product offering, but at the same time, is that enough to, to go to jiu-jitsu to make up for what you lose in UFC exposure? I mean, UFC exposure in all combat sports, absent Pacquiao or Mayweather or something like that, is the greatest you can get, right? I mean, we should all sort of agree to that. Um, there might be some examples about being able to reach key audiences, like, you know, what Kodo can do, and maybe if he sponsored, you know, um, um, some kind of beer that audiences in Puerto Rico drank or something like that, but that aside... You know, UFC, UFC that does 750,000 pay-per-view buys, that's, that's a lot of exposure um, in the combat sports space that no one else can touch. And so when you lose that, what happens? So my point is this, if it does dramatically kill off a bunch of these brands, and some of these brands I wouldn't mind losing, like you, you know, some of these brands like, you know, they're just so ghetto and, and, and so forth. Losing them isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but... Um, those, like Boner beer, like right? that's a real beer that sponsors things on Access TV. I don't think it's a huge deal necessarily, but are they able to last? I, I, I don't know if the entire industry has the sort of like rug taken out from under them. 
and we'll get to the point about you know this is the UFC that's providing these platforms to make money in just a minute because it's true, right? We'll get to that in just a second. But understand, like if you are one of these apparel companies, you know you just can't do a GNC meet and greet and expect to have the same kind of exposure as you would as putting a shirt on, let's say, Cain Velasquez in a heavyweight title fight. It's just not the same. Either a walkout shirt or uh, what he puts on when the decision is being read. It's just a, it's, it's an exposure that is extraordinarily difficult to find. And again, I'd be okay with them taking that away if the terms by which it was taken away were collectively negotiated, which they were not. And so what does this do to the MMA apparel company economy? I, I will have to wait and see, but I have really some sort of very strong concerns that uh, it will be deeply, if not irredeemably damaged. And some of these lesser brands that we all sort of laugh at and think very little of, um, they can, on occasion, for certain fighters, be extraordinarily beneficial. Um, it's just the truth. Some of these, some of these guys have really good ties to them. You know, um, that they may not have wider distribution throughout UFC rosters, but they have a couple of guys that really take care of. On aggregate, you begin to add that up. Brands like Fear the Fighter. Now, I know they had some issues with more recently with I think with Akira Korosani, but you get the idea of what I'm sort of talking about here. Um, it's not that we're not pulling out a Sony. We're not pulling out a Fly Emirates. We're pulling out something very small, but that even that small one can have a targeted effect and writ large, small one, small one, small one, small one, small one, it can take care of a wide swath of guys who now lose that. Um, this is a big one for me. What does this mean for agents and managers? I talked to a couple of lawyers yesterday, uh, one involved in contract law, one not. But the other one is actually an MMA fan. He said this is deeply damaging for agents and managers. Um, it's no secret that UFC has had butted heads with management previously. More recently, most recently with Gina Carano. Oh, her agent, you know, talked her into this, talked her into that. Gilbert Melendez fights this weekend. You know why he's got a title shot ob- opposite Anthony Pettis? Because he had to. He negotiated it by, by waving Bellator in front of their face. Agents and managers are hugely valuable. Not all of them. Some of them can be drained. Some of them are crooks. Some of them are liars, of course, but good ones can be great ones, and they are deeply necessary for your career, if you're, especially if you're a ranked guy who otherwise has no leverage. If you're a guy like Gilbert Melendez, you are very talented. You can beat a lot of guys, but you don't have a lot of UFC experience. You don't have a lot of proof that you can sell pay-per-views, but if you want to get ahead, um, going to Bellator and having the you know wave the uh, match this clause in front of them, that is that, and then negotiating those terms, you you need a manager to get to navigate you through that process. That's what they do. Um, and now, in terms of sponsorships, they are deeply undermined. Now, they may still be have some value for the case of Gilbert Melendez for doing those things like he needed with UFC and Bellator to get the title shot and to get on the reality show. But as a as a general rule, this deeply undercuts them. And maybe you like that. I'm just pointing out to you, it's hard to imagine a future where they retain the exact same amount of importance they do now, which, by the way, was already diminished. Um, Let's see. Another question that I had, I put on Twitter yesterday. If we added up all the dollars that this Reebok deal is replacing, are they matching it? Right? So if you say whatever the money is that fighters – what money are we taking away in sponsorship? Now, we're going to replace it with the Reebok money, but hold on for just a second. What money are we taking away? What money and sponsorship are we removing? If we could find a way to add up all those dollars, and it could be complicated because some deals are for what you wear at certain intervals in a fight, walk out after the fact at a media event, 
um, any kind of appearance on national TV. So it's going to be kind of hard to quantify that. But let's say we could get a couple of economists to do it. And it was an X dollar amount, more or less, you know, 10,000 up, 10,000 down margin of error, which is not much. We collectively added it. Is Reebok matching that? That's my question. And we don't know the answer to that. I have to say, I, I don't know. At 11.7 million or roughly at 45 events, 260,000 per event, I have serious doubts. I think guys at the very, very high end might be okay. But, you know, a guy like Joe Lazan, who is not ranked, to my knowledge, let me make sure he's not ranked before I just, you know, say something stupid. Let's see here. What is Joe Lazan ranked at? Or not ranked at? Uh, let's see. I do like this comic book thing that UFC is doing for uh, this event. All right. So, lightweight. And is Jim Miller, 11 is Eddie Alvarez, 12, Michael Johnson, 13, Jorge Masvidal, 14, Nate Diaz, 5, Rustam Havilov. Joe Lozano's not even ranked. How about welterweight? Where is uh, Josh Koscheck? Not on it. This is my point. These are guys that are fan favorites that have tenure and recall in Major League Baseball, the way they divvy up all that money from um, the apparel deal. With, I don't know who makes Major League Baseballs, but um, that's by seniority. So the longer you've been in the league, the more money you make with that with that apparel deal. Shouldn't there be some kind of mechanism involved that for guys like Joe Lazan, who was on the Ultimate Fighter 5, who is still around, guys like Josh Koscheck, who's on the Ultimate Fighter 1, guys like Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez, you know, you can make whatever arguments you want about him being cut because he couldn't fight the way prop- he needed to properly. Um, but you can't argue that he's not a fan favorite or that people don't love him or respond to him or that he hasn't been here a long time and done a lot for the UFC. Shouldn't his sonority have some kind of an impact? Isn't that, isn't, isn't that a reasonable argument to make? I, I would submit to you that it is. Um, but that's not what's happening here. So to me, I, I don't think it's – to me, it seems a little odd that Joe Lazan, in terms of this Reebok apparel deal, is going to make the exact same amount as um, Alex White, who was fighting on Fight Pass or – um, Gassan Umalatov. They're going to make the exact same. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Continuing. Um, anyway, so the point is that to me is the key question. I would like someone to ask someone from UFC management that they get a chance. Are you replacing what you're taking out? And yes, some guys like Matt Wyman and Mac Danzig, they're guaranteed to make more. These are guys who we're so frustrated by the sponsorship um, a process as it currently exists that they just couldn't take it anymore and just said, forget about it. And now they will get a check that they otherwise would not have gotten. Seems to me that these guys are clearly going to benefit. I think we can all agree on that. But that's a fairly minimal amount of guys. Guys, even like Gleason Tebow, again, a guy who's, I don't believe, is he ranked? Is Gleason Tebow ranked? Gleason Tebow is not even... Gleason Tebow is not even ranked. He's not even ranked. Guy's done a lot for the UFC, beaten a lot of good guys. He can still get sponsors. It's still worth it to him to be able to compete and do those kinds of things. Now he's going to get the same as a guy who just entered the UFC. I'm not sure I understand the logic of that. So, again, I want to know, are you taking out, are you putting in whatever you're taking out? Um, here's the other part. So they said, for example, if a, if a blue chip comes to them, let's say, let's say um, um, Sony or Target or uh, Fly Emirates, right? Because you've seen all the soccer jerseys that all have Fly Emirates on them. If Fly Emirates, the Emirate Airlines, comes to them 
and says we want to do a deal with you and you can put now on top of that on top of that fly emirates on all the logos or sorry on all the uniforms on some capacity or another we don't know what share people will get of that it's just not clear that hasn't been told to us at all does ufc keep that Does the fighters get 100 of that we don't know again i'm not saying it's good or it's bad but it's another port of information that we're just left in the dark with to speculate which to me is just not a proper way to understand this deal um a question about the sponsor tax this is interesting to me too now the sponsor tax to me i've always made the argument that the sponsor tax didn't need to exist the need to keep out the condom depots did right that does make your product look a little bit shady okay fair enough but that could always have been an administrative task this doesn't comport with company ethics or our own uh, idea of self-imaging we don't, simply don't wish to use it um it all I, I never quite understood why it had to be a, a um a sum of money this is a small question i put this one at the it's not the bottom of the list but like if you had to rank all the questions i'm about to ask i sort of put this at the bottom but aren't they losing all that sponsorship tax money who's replacing that are they taking that out of the reebok deal and then saying the rest goes to the fighters maybe maybe not i mean are they just eating the, the loss of the sponsorship tax Hey, we used to make say a million bucks a year on this. Well, I don't know what it was. Maybe more, maybe less. Let's say a million. Again, a million is not an insignificant amount of money, but it's not significant either for their larger business. But what's happening with it? Are they just going to eat it? What? We're not. Again, not the most important question. Just another question that I have to understand this deal. Um, here's the thing that we need to sort of do here is connect the dots. Why is it a big deal about how? guys get fight night bonuses why is it a big deal that we're talking so heavily about sponsors there's two main reasons like why is this such a controversy when these other sort of organizations i should say three main reasons these other organizations in sports which ufc is trying to build itself up after in many ways smartly why is it such an issue number one it's an issue because it was not collectively negotiated now it's partly the if not entirely the responsibility of the fighters to self-organize. If they don't self-organize, who's the UFC supposed to talk to? If you're a fighter and you're watching this, don't look to me to save you because I'm not gonna, nor can I. Nor is it my job to save you. I'm here to spotlight issues that I see as relevant for public information. But if you wanna get out there and you think this is unfair and you don't self-organize, I don't know what to tell you. That aside, one, there's no collective action on this. Two, the money that these guys make in other leagues is so astronomically high that it is rare when their sponsorship money matches it. Richard Sherman makes probably a fair amount from, say, Campbell Soup or something like that. But he makes a lot more on his contract. Even global superstars like Ronaldo. Ronaldo makes a ton of money. Uh, but I think it's half of what he makes in contracted money. The contracted money in other leagues is astronomically higher. Moreover, if you play in the NFL, you're playing in front of 15 to 30 million people a week. The exposure is so huge, you can get off the field and go do an ad for Campbell's and everyone will recognize you. That's a little bit harder to do when you're pulling 700 and 850,000 on Fox Sports 1 four times a year. It's just difficult to do. And I think third, though, um, is the real key here. Sponsorship money is absolutely critical to a fighter's life. Their ability to keep the lights on and pay for world-class training. The reason why we're having such a strong reaction to it, either positively or negatively or whatever the case, just wanting to talk about it even from an even-keeled stance, is because sponsorships and MMA hold 
unbelievable importance that another sport cannot match. That's, that is the key insight here. These guys were able on some level, some of them, some of them not. There were, the, the current system is hardly perfect. But there are, there are certain guys who were able to really supplement things that they needed with sponsors. It saved them. It matched what they made or more. At the lower end, it's routinely more what you make in sponsors than what you make um, to fight, especially if you lost a fight and you're sort of a newcomer. Let's say you're two and three years or two and one or something like that in your first three fights. The, the, the meaning of sponsorships in MMA, it has no analog in other sports that the UFC models itself after because the way in which uh, pay is distributed in terms of guaranteed, non-guaranteed is different. And the overall, it was like, what helps you if you make 20000 a fight? Having sponsorship money offset low fighter pay. That's also what bonuses do. They help offset low fighter pay. Not for everybody. Again, it's an unequal system. I understand that. But that's partly what it did. If you made 20000 a fight, that's not enough to train at a world-class level. It's not pay all your bills and have a family. It's just that the money, the 20 grand is not enough. You need to fight three times a year. Money goes to your gym. Money goes to your manager. Money goes to tax. If you fought in Brazil, especially. So what's left over, if you got a bonus for 50 grand or you got, you know, a 50 grand of fight and sponsorships, okay, now you're cooking with gas. Now you can sort of manage to do the things you need to then graduate to the higher levels and, and prove yourself on up. But it's because it helped offset low contractual fighter pay. Now, does George St. Pierre have to worry about this so much? Probably not. Does John Jones have to worry about this so much? Probably not. But there's another key component to it. Are they really going to be able to maximize uh, what they what they what they're worth? They say the champions are going to be able to negotiate. What about Conor McGregor? He's not a champion, but he's worth a lot. Is he going to be able to? Now, maybe I don't know. But my point being is, th there are certain guys who either because they've been around so long or they're still new, bear a lot of excitement for and care a lot of excitement for MMA fans. And there's no way to really account for that, as I've been told or we've been told, according to the current mechanics of the deal. If you're Joe Lazan, you're making the same in this as Gassan Umalatov. I, I have a hard time understanding the logic of that. I, I really do. Anyway, long story short about this one is... Um, Sponsorship money helped connect the dots in a fighter's life in many, 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 many cases. In many cases. And if Reebok's not replacing what they're taking away, and maybe they are, but on my calculations, I, I'm not sure I see the math. I'll wait to see someone else help me help correct me if I'm wrong. That's my concern. Um, someone pointed out, if we're going to do it based on rankings, Frank Mir is set to make the same as Raquel Pennington. And someone's saying, oh, I had a bunch of people who, of course, who can't think for themselves. Right? Oh, Frank Mir is washed up. Frank Mir is at the tail end of his career. I don't think anyone would deny that. Frank Mir still, still holds value. Joe Lazan's at the tail end of his career. Josh Koshnick's at the tail end of his career. Are you going to call them washed up? Frank Mir can be annoying sometimes, I grant, but, but he's not washed up in the sense of being valuable to fans as a mode of, of attracting you to a product. There's value there. There's value there. Is that value mechanism built into the compensation system? I don't know that it is. Raquel Pennington, God bless her. I'm sure she's a, a, a wonderful person. She's a good fighter. But she's competing in a division that is not nearly as strenuous, even as MMA heavyweight. And that's another point. What if you're a lightweight and you're in the top 20? You're a damn good fighter. If you're a top 20 
flyweight, you're not nearly as good. You're not even close. You're not even close if you're top 15. This is a one division is incredibly stacked and one is not. And yet we're going to rate those equally. I'm not sure I understand that. Another point that I haven't seen anyone really talk about. 20% for an athlete branded merchandise. Uh, again, this was not negotiated to them. This was just told to them. Let me ask you something. First of all, remember that when you sign to UFC, they take your likeness rights in perpetuity. You can't leave UFC like Rampage Jackson, go to Bellator, and then use your likeness to sell any merchandise there. It doesn't work, okay? Because UFC owns it for life, even when you're retired or gone. And you say you get 20% merchandise and sales. If someone has your rights to life and you're getting 20 cents on the dollar, do you think that's fair? Maybe you do. If it was me, I would ask for 50-50, if not more. You have ownership to my rights, which are not transferable for perpetuity. And you're only going to give me 20 cents on the dollar. Moreover, who is going to buy this merchandise? I do suspect it'll be bought in UFC gyms where it'll be sold. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. There'll be other retail outlets. But my point being is who's going to buy a, uh, a Joe Lazan jersey? Maybe some, maybe not a whole lot. John Jones might sell a whole lot. Ronda Rousey might sell a whole lot. Cain Velasquez might sell a whole lot. Is Tim Kennedy going to sell a lot? Even someone like Luke Rockhold, is he going to sell a lot? So the 20% seems to me, it sounds nice because they pitched it on top of all the other guaranteed money you're going to make, but we don't know what the guaranteed money is going to be. There's issues about how it's been arranged. And 20% after you've taken lifetime rights, uh, again, if it had been collectively negotiated, do you think that a union would have allowed for that? I have a hard time believing that 20% would have been like, okay, no problem. They would have negotiated that up. Now, maybe only 35, maybe 40, maybe not 50. Point being is, 20 is just what they were told. Well, what about what they could have negotiated? Wouldn't that have been higher? Um, independent contractors versus employees. This is a, a bigger debate that folks don't understand. If you are a member of the Washington Redskins, you are an employee of that team. And the NFLPA represents you. Even when you are a horrible person, seemingly, like Adrian Peterson or uh, Ray Rice, who, by the way, had 3.1 yards per carry last season. He's not going to be in a roster this year. Anyway, um, they represent you, but you're part of it. Uh, you're an employee, and the distinctions are important because, for example, um, and, and by the way, I'll give shout-outs to uh, Patrick Wyman uh, and uh, Mike Fagan over at MMA Untethered um, Podcast. They talked about some of these issues yesterday. The differences are pretty are, – are, it's not hard and fast. But it's not known that independent contractors had to wear uniforms. It's not really it's not a really common thing that independent contractors are given health insurance, which is a good thing. But my point is the following. And I'm not telling anyone to do this. Again, fighters need to do whatever they feel is best. If you like this deal, then just take it. If you don't, then do something about it. Up to you to do or not do anything. But no, no one has ever challenged this in a court of law to say, are we employees? Are we independent contractors? Because if my plumber comes over, I don't get to tell him to wear a uniform. He doesn't get to, he doesn't have to perform the duties in the way in which I tell him. By contrast, if I open up a HVAC company and I hire you, well, now you have to wear a uniform. And now, by the way, though, I have to comply with any kind of retirement benefits by setting up a 401k. If I have women, I have to set up maternity leave. Um, all kinds of other tax issues I have to pay. I have to pay your, you know, uh, uh, um, any number of different things that make it more costly and, and 
frankly, less efficient to be an employee versus an independent contractor. But we have kind of these trimmings of independent contractors with a lot of more trimmings of being employees, you having some kind of healthcare coverage, which again is a good thing. I'm not bashing it, it's a great thing. All I'm asking is when you're asking guys to wear uniforms, not asking, you're demanding that they wear uniforms and um, you're giving them health coverage, are they really independent contractors or are they employees? The list of what differentiates them is much more complicated. I believe the IRS defines it in 20 different things and it's sort of like a grab bag where it's not, you have to meet all 20, but you have to meet a certain amount of criteria and then sort of decide. But I just mean, no one's ever challenged it in a court of law and I don't know that anyone ever will, but I wonder what would happen if they did because we're, we're sort of trending in territory where these guys are told they're independent contractors, which makes things much more efficient for the corporate parent. But are they really? Are they really, or are they employees just being told they're independent contractors? Um, let's see, what else do we have? Bad judging takes on a whole new role, doesn't it? Bad judging has always been bad. If you come up on the bad end of a judging decision, it can affect your purse because you get half of it, right? When winner when or show, for the most part. It can affect you because... Um, you know, it may affect how you get placed on a future card or what kind of opponent you get next or whether you get a title shot or whether you don't. Now it may could also affect your money in terms of how you're ranked. Um, it's another key component to this because if you get a bad judging decision, they can't ignore that when they rank you. And if they rank you because of it, it could affect how, uh, yet another drop in pay that you didn't really deserve that in the current system, it may or may not impact you. Uh, let's see. Here's another issue, and I'll move to questions here, I'll, and I'll breeze the rest of the questions after this. This is the last one I have on the list I've made. For me, here's the other issue about it. Everyone's like, oh, will there be a fighter's union? Will there be a, a fighter's association? I don't know the answer to that, and, and I don't know anyone that does. But what I do know is the way in which they've structured this deal, where the highest get the most and then the least get the least, keeps in place the current structure that diminishes any chances of that happening. Because everyone always says the same thing. Well, listen, there's never going to be a fighter's union because Anderson Silva, he might sell some jerseys and get the 20%. And George St. Pierre, he might sell some jerseys and get the 20%. Um, and probably already makes money on pay-per-view points. These guys don't need an association, and that's true. And this keeps that in place. This fits along with the compensation structure as it's already sort of organized from a macro perspective of rewarding the highest for being the highest and then doing the less, least for the least. And they call it a capitalistic system and that, you know, you eat what you kill. And you may like the system, you may not. But I just want to point out that the way in which it's structured matches some of the signposts of how other forms of compensation monetarily are already structured in the UFC, which, again, if, if you're in favor of an association, this, 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 uh, this new sponsorship compensation system it dovetails right into it. It doesn't, it's not a departure that gives you an opening for something else. All right. So enough of my own questions. I'm going to breeze right through these. And, um, and I appreciate everyone being, you know, understanding that I, I had to get these out, but I had to get them out. All right. Uh, the Reebok deal in Nike, is this why Nike pulled out of the Anderson and John Jones sponsorships early? Uh, partly. Yeah. My understanding is the John Jones thing and I uh, had an anonymous tip. That I later verified, um, Nike got out of it when they said it wasn't worth it to them. If the guy can't wear his shorts to the ring and he can't wear a Nike gear on any kind of shirts or anything else, um, why does it mean anything to them? 
They could put them in Nike ads, but the real value there is not an ad you can circulate on the internet or show during some other kind of thing, although that has some value. It's getting him in front of audiences that don't have exposure to Nike already that you're trying to get into. That's why they're signing John. They're not signing John so they can parade him in front of audiences that already buy it. They're putting Nike on John so John can parade Nike to audiences that don't already buy it. That's the whole idea. And so you remove that, and what does that get you? Kate, remember Kate Swiss? They got in, they got out. Reebok has a bit of a different vibe. And the Reebok-UFC partnership makes some sense. Reebok you know, does a lot for the CrossFit community in terms of providing gear for them and being a part of the CrossFit Games and things like that. And I think they're the lead sponsor of the CrossFit Games. And so UFC has been a big part of this fitness thing with UFC Fit and UFC Gym. And, and there's a, I can see the corporate synergy there. It makes a lot of sense. The brands have a lot in common. And that's all, that's all good and well. But you know, I've already detailed all the issues. Um, let's see. Already answered this one. Is UFC giving 100% most of the profits of the fighters? What are they gaining? Um, I don't know how this is going to work when they say that they're taking 100%. 100% of what? 100% of what? 100% of the 70 million? This, I think it's 70 million minus other costs. Well, what are those costs and how much are they? What is left after that point? We don't really know the answer to that. Um, are they going to get an equipment deal next like Bellator with Everlast? They might. Will current MMA sponsors like Tap Out and Venom sponsor fighters for Out of the Cage? Again, what value to you, what value is a fighter to you in the MMA apparel space if you can't actually see them in MMA competition? Probably very little. How ballsy of it was uh, was it for dethrone royalty to spoil the announcement the night before? Um, ballsy or stupid, depending on your perspective. Josh Koshik, what do you think about this matchup with Ellenberger? Do you think he's still a top 10 welterweight? I don't because I think he's been on a slide. This seems to me like a do or die fight. Loser leaves town kind of match, right? Ellenberger, who just, we talked about it before with Gastelum, just did not show up the way in which he has in some other fights when he got his back taken just had his hand up and didn't really scramble just didn't show hustle didn't show i don't know like he had something else going on in his head gastelum was all vinegar and pissed the whole time um koshek not looking so great recently i think you know as everyone gets older your ability to take punishment is compromised i don't think his chin is gone but i don't think he takes a shot like he used to anyway um this is an interesting fight. The question is could koshek wrestle him down? Ellenberger does have pretty good wrestling, but we didn't see great scrambling against Gastelum. This will tell us what do they have left. That's that that that's what this will tell us. Rufus Sport on countdown videos. On UFC 181 countdown video, the parts with Pettis and Rufus Sport seemed to go out of its way to show how much of a team environment it was. Over and over harped on everyone here to make each other better. Do you think this was a deliberate response to the criticisms levied by Rose, among others? No, I don't think so. I don't think UFC is in the business of protecting or bashing a camp. I think that they shot it the way they wanted to. Uh, you know, you know as, as they saw it. As, any, any case. Um, by the way, let's sort of talk about one thing I didn't mention, which was the sponsor tax. I mentioned you know, who's going to make up for the money. Again, it's a small sort of question. But part of the reason why sponsorship money had dried up to begin with was the sponsor tax. And again, my whole point was, I understand why you want to keep certain businesses out, but that can be done administratively. It doesn't have to be done by an annual amount of money that you charge from 50000 although some, you know, like Dynamic Fastener, 
did not, but you get the idea, right? So it already got bad for that, and then this is taking it away almost completely. So to say, well, we didn't want, you know, we, we it was bad, and guys weren't getting sponsored, guys like Danzig and guys like so forth, they weren't getting sponsors. Well, part of the reason why they were getting sponsor trouble was because the sponsor tax hurt so many in the space that ordinarily would have been there. I don't know that Reebok is fixing it so much as compounding the problems in some ways. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Nate Diaz. Do you see this fight? How do you see this fight going? I have a hard time seeing Nate Diaz beat Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, even if he's getting outstruck, which could be well the case, certainly at range, just his clinch takedowns and his ability to win on top and outscramble. Nate Diaz has great jujitsu, but Dos Anjos is a tick above. Um, and he just hustles in fights in ways that I just don't see other guys doing. So I like Dos Anjos a lot in that one. Gary Cook said 20 to 30 more events a year. How scared were you? Uh, not scared. I'm curious to see their vision play out at this point. Um, team takedown contracts. I've talked about this. Luke, I was wondering uh, your take on team takedown contracts. There was, Jordan Breen did a long expose on this uh, on his radio show. It makes sense for certain fighters like Johnny Hendricks where you get investment up front and then you make so much money on the back end you're able to sort of pay it off. For a lot of these guys, I think Team Takedown had some issues because they were trying to sponsor a lot of them, and then they went belly up because so few of your prospects are going to develop into actual blue-chip guys. Remember, you know, he was coming out with a number of guys like uh, Jake Rochalt. You know, Rochalt, where is he today? Um, you know, but he had better credentials. He was, I think, a three-time national champion out of uh, Oklahoma State, right? And so these guys were coming out, and there was a lot of hype that they could rise right to the top and get money right away. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so it can work in certain cases. And I'm not here to bash Team Takedown. They're a great team. And Mark Lehman was on Ariel's show. And these guys have a great system where all the coaches work together. So, for example, guys don't have to go to one part of town to get what they need and another part of town to get what they need. And none of the coaches are talking. Guys might get overtrained. It's a bit of an issue. Everyone is all in-house. It's a good team. But as an idea, it probably needs some rejiggering because – it may have worked out in the case of Johnny Hendricks, but he became welterweight champ. If you don't become that, what does it really get you? Uh, is Bellator a big winner? We talked about this. Um, someone says uh, the, the rankings changed. They're looking for a smaller, more educated group in the sport of MMA to vote on the rankings. Would you be interested in being part of that? No. Uh, Luke, why does MMAfighting.com censor swear words on article headings but not in audio video content? I don't know. Good question. Pettis is striking. Do we see any flashy Showtime moves in the cage Saturday night? Does Pettis finish Melendez if it's contested solely on the feet? You'll recall he didn't – like there's a reason why Pettis didn't do that Showtime kick on Ben Henderson until the fifth and final round. And the reason is because you have to get a guy tired and thinking defensively and not expecting any kind of quick change. And, and there just has to be a certain rhythm a guy gets into before you can try something like that. And also, you know, if it goes poorly – you know, um, you're not giving away the entire fight or an entire round or something like that. Also, you can do that in the fifth round too, but there's just less time to to worry about that after the fact. So um, you might if the fight goes late, but I wouldn't expect much beyond that. Like if you look at the way in which he beat Henderson the second time, what did he do? He went middle kicks to the body over and over and over again because he was able to sneak in just below Henderson's elbow. And that changed the look on Henderson's face. And then he was able to go for the kill from that point after he got taken down. So um, look for things that are efficient but lethal. Yoel Romero. I'm a big <clears throat> Yoel Romero fan. I was thinking that he has a style that would give all the mighty Jacare some problems. Do you see a potential upset here? 
think I talked about this last week. My major argument was that um, Jacare's wrestling is not bad, particularly for MMA, and he's got much better jiu-jitsu than Romero. Romero, you'll see he'll go for takedowns, and he'll land in advantageous positions, but then he likes to usually back out a lot. He likes to just score points with a takedown, hold it long enough for it to count, and then disengage. Um, that might work against Jacare, but I have, I, I have my doubts. Uh, Luke, what did you think about the link between Reebok? When, uh, excuse me. What did you think about the link Reebok tried to draw between training and fighting? Is there more of a link between MMA and training fitness than there is between other sports and training and fitness? Yeah, I think most people would agree that like they may not watch boxing, but they know you know you jump rope for you know three rounds of three minutes, you're going to be really tired at the end, even if you're in pretty good shape. And that boxing training has always been. Even you see these Tybo. What is Tybo? It's like boxer size you know like people always have recognized combat sports as these kinds of really grueling things that put you in shape even if you're not even learning the actual skill side of things again i've got some issues with how the fighters are getting paid on this one but i understand why reebok and ufc are doing this deal i just wish the fighters had collectively negotiated some capacity and again talked about whose fault is that probably the fighters but um but in terms of what ufc wants and how it identifies itself and what it sees as its value add in in the in the uh, uh health and industry space and um, and what they need from an apparel brand and what Reebok needs from them makes quite a bit of sense that the two got together, quite actually. Uh, I, I completely understand that. Watching fights in person. I know this is a super weird question, but I was wondering if there are any major differences when it comes to watching fights on YouTube, for example, and watching them in person while sitting in front of the cage. Is there a noticeable difference? Yeah, of course. I've always said this before. You, you, there, here's how you should watch a fight. Number one, cage side. I know it's asking a lot. I'm just saying. You don't have to go to UFC to watch cage stuff. You can go to Legacy if they come to your town or just your regional MMA show. Go to like a good, good, lower-level regional amateur MMA show if you can. If you live in Jersey, you know, they got a lot of them out there. If you live in uh, Colorado or Southern California, go to Tachi or whatever the case may be. Find a good regional one and sit as close as you can. Pay a little extra money. That's the best way to watch MMA because you can hear everything, feel everything. You can just sort of see the looks on guys' faces. That's, that's the key way to do it. Um, if you can't do that, then the second best thing is not to be further back on the floor, but then in the stands, just sort of eye level, maybe slightly above of the top of the cage. That's the best way to see it. Now, you may get blocked a little bit depending on where the cameraman is, but if you're too far back, you can't see a whole lot. If you're down on the floor but in the back, everyone stands up and you can't see Jack. That's Those are your two best spots, cage side or cage eye level. Let's see. Good question, and I don't know the answer to it. What if a fighter has some negative press around him? Like he pulls a Cosby and everyone's thinking, yep, he probably did it, but the courts haven't proved anything or thus doesn't get cut, or something lesser, like he crashes his car into a tree while drunk. Is Reebok really going to have their logo on this guy's shorts? I don't know the answer to that. It's a great question. Which podcast would you rather participate in, Joe Rogan's or Chael's? Um, I guess either. Thoughts on the Davis-Bader matchup? Who do you favor to win, and would a quick and very impressive finish here be enough to call out the champion despite Gustafson-Johnson fight? I would say that I would favor uh, Davis. Um, not by much. And, you know, we saw Davis get taken down by Rashad Evans and held down forever, so I wouldn't put it past Bader. By the way, Bader's huge if you've ever seen him in person. Not that Davis is some small guy, but Bader's just a large, light heavyweight, you know. Um, 
I would favor Davis, though. I think his steps have gotten cleaner. I think his distance management has gotten a lot better. I think on the feet, he can win more efficiently with the striking. Bader might himself leave more openings that way. Bader kind of has a more hurried pace, and Davis is sort of slow and methodical. In that sense, they're, they are contrasts. But um, I would favor Davis just to be able to sort of manage each round in the way that he needed to. Uh, good question. Kind of a fun one. In a hypothetical world where Aldo drops the belt today to fight at light heavyweight, who contends for the featherweight belt? Got to be Frankie versus Connor, flat out. And that would be, wouldn't that be an awesome fight? How do you feel about these potential matchups? Luke Rockhold versus Machida. Love it. I love that one in particular. Ricardo Lamas versus Chad Mendez. Uh, I don't love it because Lamas just won. Dustin Poirier versus Dennis Bermudez. Love it. Cub Swanson versus Nick Lentz if he wins. Love it. Uh, no, wait. Uh, if Nick Lentz wins, I'd like to see him against Lamas, maybe. Gunnar Nelson versus Patrick Cote. Um, yeah, maybe. Although I still think Nelson should be... Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Nurmagomedov versus Grant. Um, Grant's been gone so long, I'd like to see him get a bit of an easier return. And Michael McDonald versus Eddie Wineland. Would love it. All right, please talk about Hendricks, Lawler, and Pettis Melendez. Here's what I'll say about these two fights. Here's who I'm picking. My, my predictions aren't out yet, but here's who I'm picking. I like uh, Hendricks to repeat, and I like Pettis to win, and I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, we all know how good Robbie Lawler is, right? We can all say that Lawler can just do amazing things. He can knock you out in 30 seconds. You push him against the wall. He comes back with 10 times the amount of force that you applied to him. He's short up so many deficiencies. He's got not a ton of real liabilities in the way that he used to. Not a perfect fighter, of course, but just doesn't share the same amount of problems that he used to have. That's the first thing I'd say. Second, um, I can't, though, lean on that as an excuse to pick him. I we always say, oh, you know, this guy was injured and it was an excuse. Guys, sometimes excuses are helpful points of information. Sometimes excuses are the things you need to help put the last piece in the puzzle. Because an excuse may sound like, well, that's what he's saying for the reason why he couldn't do X. Guys, I couldn't get to work on time. Why not? Oh, I was kidnapped. Okay, well, that sounds like a reasonably good excuse. I'm not putting this in the same level, but that's an excuse too. We have this idea that like excuses are inherently awful, ugly things to cover for bad performances. Sometimes that's true, e.g. Tito Ortiz. Sometimes it's true as an explainer of bad behavior. I really and truly believe that the bicep injury that Johnny Hendricks had and the way in which he was poorly blocking shots and standing in the pocket and had really no real wrestling to speak of. I mean, he had some in that first fight, but nothing what I thought he could do. Um, to me, partly, again, to Lawler's improvement, but a lot of it had to do with his own inability to compete at the highest level which he can compete. I don't think you saw that in that first fight. This is a guess. I don't know this to be true. We're going to find out, but that's my hunch. I really sort of believe this time you're going to see the best Hendricks, and you're still going to see the best Lawler, but that space between them is going to grow even more. Okay, not that it was a whole lot to begin with, but it'll be a little clearer this time. In the case of Pettis versus Melendez, I struggle a little bit on this one because I can see Melendez taking him down and holding him down, and that worries me a little bit if you're if you're leaning towards Pettis. But a couple things about Pettis that folks don't realize. One, he's got a bit of a Carlos Connick guard where it's really, really active and gets guys 
not a lot of points because they can't do much. He's disrupting base. He's going for arm bars like he did on Ben Henderson. He's got a guard where you know if you he, if you can't stop your takedown because of the way in which he fights, he's going to make your guard give you a lot of problems. You know by by just being active and constantly mobile. And if you pass, it's fine. He can shrimp back to guard or create a scramble of himself. He's just become much better of a scrambler, much better of a defensive wrestler too. But that guard man, it's just really really kind of active, and I really respect that. I think the second thing that folks don't realize about Anthony Pettis, and this is just how I see it. He's a lot more of a thinker than folks give him credit for. They give they, when people talk about Pettis, they talk about him like fighting in a super flashy way, which he does. But they talk about it like it's some sort of natural thing where he's not even thinking. It's just you know um, the the scene from the Matrix where Neo is fighting Agent Smith in the first one and not even looking and just blocking everything. It's not really like that. Like he really, I think you've seen it if you watch the season of Ultimate Fighter. He's very cerebral, very. Uh, forward thinking, very interested in how, how the details produce an outcome and, and accepting them and adopting them and understanding them really sort of digs deep into it. Um, and that makes him, I think, a very underrated fighter in terms of fighter IQ. Uh, had a very poor fight IQ and, you know, just lacked skills in the Clay Guida fight. I think that's long behind us at this point. Um, so I definitely like Pettis to win and I like him for those reasons. True or false? Gustafson will convincingly beat Johnson. Uh, true. Conor McGregor at 155 would be at the same spot he is now at 145. False. Takedown defense is more important than BJJ skills. False. In distant future, the UFC won't have any more pay-per-view events. In the distant future. That's probably true. What does distant mean? Um, worldwide MMA is already much bigger than football and baseball combined. No. I hope does, Do folks understand this? The Washington Redskins themselves are worth $2 billion. Just, just that one team. Like, you can make an argument that the NFL is more popular here than combat sports. Combat sports are globally. Uh, Kat Zingano is going to upset Ronda Rousey by mauling her for the TKO. Only if it happens late. Purely talent and skill-based, Uriah Hall is one of the top 10 fighters on the planet. False. In MMA, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. That's a cliche, but it's true for everything in life. Uh, Rory McDonald moving to middleweight. Rory was recently a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast experience, talking about moving up to middleweight sometime in the future. What do you think he can achieve there? I don't even want to talk about that until we've seen whether he can grab a title at welterweight. Um, let's first stick to that and then move up. But right now, I would say, unless he gets significantly bigger or older, He's going to have a hard time mashing those guys in size. Rory McDonald is not nearly the same size as Luke Rockhold. True or false? Both champs retain their titles in convincing fashion this Saturday. True. The low rent appearance of the fighters' current sponsors had nothing to do with the UFC's mandate that fighters wear uniforms. I think this is actually one of the benefits of the deal. I've got a lot of problems with it, but one of the benefits of it is that the guys are going to look better. I mean, I never, it never bothered me so much, you know, from a consumer standpoint that these guys had all these sponsorships on. But partly that was driven by the fact that I knew they needed it for money. But if you're just saying, sort of aesthetically speaking, which is better looking, guys with a bunch of sponsors, you know, it's all, you know, Joe's Pizza on Fifth Avenue or, uh, you know, just Reebok and this sort of clean design thing. I think most people would agree that the Reebok thing looks better. I don't think this is the issue with it. Anderson Silva loses by KO or TKO in 2015. True. Um, the UFC moving to uniforms is going to be fortuitous for Bellator with respect to procuring talent. Maybe. 
Chris Wyman is champion on this day next year. True. Frankie Edgar holds another UFC title before he retires. False, unless he drops the bantamweight. John Jones is underestimating the seriousness of the threat DC poses to him. Uh, he may lose to DC, but I don't think he's underestimating the threat that he poses. Someone says, let's say for the sake of the art. So I asked a question, how much do all fighters make for all? It's the question I asked. Whatever Reebok is taking away in terms of sponsorship money, are they replacing it? So go back to that point. Someone asks, let's say for argument's sake that the number is actually lower. Is it possible that the long-term effect of having the athlete in a sport that seems more serious or professional will have larger returns in the long run for not only an individual fighter, but all UFC fighters in the future as the sport grows and gets taken more seriously? Isn't that maybe more important than the fact that old sponsorship could have given him 500 more in the short term. Um, maybe, maybe not. It's a lot of ifs here. One, you're making a sort of a bet. You don't, you don't really know that it will result in sort of more money coming to the sport. I mean, again, profits are down 40%, not revenue. Profits down 40% this year. Part of that is just accumulated growth from trying to grow overseas. A lot of that is due to injury. We understand that. But we have some issues that we haven't ironed out yet that could still sort of affect the way in which the balance sheet um, looks year over year. Second, while I admit aesthetically it looks better, was that really what was inhibiting growth? Where that guys had a lot of sponsors on their shorts? Again, some of those sponsors being Nike, which has now abandoned the space almost completely, probably outside of Japan. Was that really the issue? I, I don't think that was the inhibitor to growth. It does give it a, a more stylized look, but so what? Like, does that now mean we're going to have this bonanza of growth again? This was really the one holding it back. Guys weren't coming out to the ring naked, and guys weren't coming out to the you know things with you know I guess holds it right because a bygone era. But they aren't coming out to you know with racist sloganeering on it. They were coming out with guys who were giving them money to put their logo on there, and then they were fighting, and that was sort of the end of it. And and I get again, I, I don't deny that it makes it looks more professional. But if I'm sort of asking, what are the ways in which the UFC can grow? And what are the ways in which they can, um, uh, you know, expand their market presence in the places they want to go? Was this a requirement to get there? No. Might there be some ancillary benefits later? Maybe. Also, you're sort of saying, well, a guy gets 500 less in the short term. That 500 might keep his lights on. Moreover, what if it's not 500? What if it's 50,000? What if it's, in some cases, even more than that? Now what? Now are we talking about that? It's also not the point. The point is, do, do fighters not... Yes or no? Answer the question. Do fighters have a right to maximize their value competing in the UFC? Not that the UFC doesn't have a chance to take a cut, because I would agree the UFC has a chance to take a cut. Do they or do they not have a right to maximize their value? And if your answer is no, then I would agree with you. If your answer is yes, then you have a whole different set of uh, a different path you need to walk down. To me, Every fighter has a chance and should have the chance to maximize their own value. And I think that if you accept that and then you accept the UFC's position where we need to be more of a coordinated, professionalized thing and the two sides had gotten together, again, we, it's not like a Reebok, Reebok UFC deal is a bad thing like conceptually. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And maybe it works out. Maybe all these guys get way more money than we thought. And maybe your question is right. But my point being is because it had zero fighter input, in terms of the negotiating table, zero. There are other concerns related to this that simply cannot be washed away because there might be other goods or values to attain here. Rather, to be attained here. Could this be a long-term investment? Sure. But doesn't this guy in the 
short run and long run of his career, have a right to make as much money as, uh, again, with some lim limits. Okay, you can't come out with racist gear or whatever nude or have this, you know, sloganeering on your back. But by and large, do you not have a right to maximize your wealth? It seems to me a pretty easy question to answer. True or false, UFC will have its first European, Asian, or Asian champion by 2015. False. How do you see uh, Will Brooks and Michael Page developing in the future based on what you've seen until now? Will Brooks, I think, can go on to compete with the best. He's adding a lot of skills that will just enable him to beat a lot of different kinds of guys. Um, still very young, very athletic, and has a good head, head on his shoulders now. Page, I think the jury's still out very much. We just don't know about the wrestling. We don't know if the way in which he's developed striking is interesting and novel, but there's an obvious countering to it, which is crowding him. And no, Sean Burrell didn't do it enough to beat him at uh, the last Bellator event he fought at, but nevertheless, like... Um, there's just more questions about him naturally because he's so different. But I wouldn't say that you can dismiss him by interest imagination. I would just have much more managed expectations until he's able to show more development. Um, where are my fight pass fights? Unless all Brazil fight cards are fight pass now, it seems I am lacking a fight pass card from December to February. What's going on? Is this going to be a regular thing? It doesn't seem to be fair to people paying for the subscription. This one points out Invicta is Friday, so you get that. Um, if it's on Fox Sports, you're not going to get it, so you're not going to get, at least not right away, you're not going to get it. And when is the last pay-per-view? UFC 180. When was, God, I can't remember. When was UFC 180? Pull this up. That won't come until after this weekend, I don't think. That was November 15th, so you'll get that after this weekend. So don't cry too much. It's coming. You think there's a possibly a connection between the 40% drop in profits experienced by Zufa this year and Dana not doing scrums? As in, do you think Lorenzo or some Fertitta PR advisors decided to his brash, abrasive talk was no longer good for business? I doubt it. I, I think that... Um, I think that whatever his criticisms are, and listen, he, he, I think Dana and the media have a you know uh, a, a difficult relationship at times, and I just think he sort of had it. I don't, I don't think it's much more complicated than that. Um, let's see, McGregor Seaver, true false. Uh, everybody talks about when Connor wins, he's going to get a title shot or not. But what if Seaver pulls off the upset and beats him, and what happens for both Seaver and McGregor? McGregor will go back to the drawing board, but that would be a dramatically bad loss. Frankie would get the title shot almost assuredly. Um, Seaver would just sort of move up, but I don't think it would do a whole lot in the end. Adlong Amagov returns to the UFC. Gotta hope. Brandon Thatch fights for the title by end of 2016. False. Anderson Silva retires if he gets KO'd by Nick Diaz. He might. Demetrius Johnson will fight at Bantamweight in 2016. Um, yes, I'll say that's true. Pettis and Hendricks both retain titles at least two times. True. Yoel Romero never fights for a UFC title. I'll say true. Where does Anderson fit in the middleweight division? I would say top five. Assuming he beats Diaz, where do you rank him in the division? After that, probably top three. No, because beating Diaz doesn't matter. So stop top five still. 
My Mount Rushmore. I don't know. Let me see what's up on Twitter real quick. Cyborg says she's looking to stay at 145 for her next fight, but who is left for her to fight against her? No one unless she goes to Bellator, I guess. Will the uniform deal also change how fighters fight in terms of fighting with more risk to be ranked higher? That's an interesting question I hadn't thought about. I doubt you'll see a whole lot of change there. You might see more stalling if they're winning around two rounds and then third they don't want to give it up, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Does this mean Johnny Hendricks and Anthony Pettis will still receive sponsorship money from Reebok? If they have an existing deal with Reebok, I doubt it changes a whole lot. Can Lesnar bring attention to more than Bellator, meaning that casual fans realize there is more than UFC? Signing Lesnar would be an attempt to do exactly that. How will this affect Anderson Silva's Nike deal? It is effectively over. Again, uh, I mean, he can do things outside of UFC thing stuff, but I, I, you know, sort of like um, advertising to specific Brazilian audiences. I don't know how valuable that is to him. Why would you do that? And like, why would you try to sponsor an athlete that you can't use to get exposure, and then the exposure that they get is limited relative to what Lionel Messi could get? I think he's in Adidas sponsorship. No, he has. Uh, what does he have? What does Lionel Messi have? Because the gear, I think it's Nike. Yeah, I think it's Nike. Um, maybe it's Adidas. I think it's Nike. But, um, you know, he's got Turkish Airlines too. You can do that for other things. But when it comes to – again, they're trying to break into MMA. If you're John Jones and you're getting a Nike sponsorship, you're trying to get Nike more a part of – you're advertising Nike to MMA audiences. If you can't get them in front of MMA audiences, what is the value? That's the question. So they're asking, nice shirt today. When's the picnic? Everyone's got a joke. Hendricks, if he wins his next two fights, meaning this one and the next one, he will have beaten Lawler twice and McDonald in his home country. How does that stack up to the beginning of GSP's reign? It's very, very difficult to make an argument like that. GSP competed at a very different time in the sport. But again, the argument you want to make about GSP, and you can make arguments depending how much more the sport evolves, GSP more or less beat three generations of welterweight contenders. Three different waves of contenders came at him. Okay, and he beat basically all of them. They lost to Sarah, but then, you know, got his revenge or what have you. And I didn't think he beat Hendricks, but technically speaking, he beat Hendricks. Um that's what you're looking for. You're looking to see longevity as the division changes. Hendricks is already in his 30s, so he's a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of that. Why not just come out and say how much the deal is, talking about the UFC Reebok deal like they did with Fox. Um, they didn't come out and tell you what the Fox deal was, but other media reported it, so it was sort of taken as it was. Um, my face when I heard Lorenzo Frittata. Yeah, that was bad. That presser was weird, right? Was it me or was it poorly lit? It was hard to see the people. And even the pictures after the fact, everything looks kind of dark. It was hard to see. It's not the biggest criticism or anything. I'm just saying it was a little hard to see. Again, do you find it weird that individual contractors are going to have to wear a uniform? Let me pull this up, this article I found. 
um, to that effect that I thought was pretty good. Let me just read you a definition. This is from uh, sportslaw.uslegal.com. An independent contractor is a person or business who performs services for another person pursuant to an agreement and is not subject to the other person's control or the manner and means of performing the services. An independent contractor is distinguished from an employee who works regularly for an employer. The exact nature of the independent contractor's relationship with with the hiring party is important since the independent contractor pays their own Social Security income tax without payroll deduction, has no retirement uh, or health plan rights, and often is not entitled to workers' compensation coverage. Right? I mean, there's more differences than that, but you get to understand what is an independent contractor versus an employee. Pick a winner. Romero versus Belfour. Um, I want to see how Belfour looks against Weidman. I'll go Belfour for now. Benavidez versus Dodson. Dodson. Edgar versus Faber. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I might go Faber. Do you think like fighters like Mighty Mouse can keep his Xbox sponsorship for other mediums? Again, what value is Demetrius Johnson to Xbox if when Demetrius Johnson competes in front of audiences that Xbox is trying to reach, they can't use him in there? Like, for example, um, when Richard Sherman is on a beef jerky ad or a Campbell soup ad, it's because Richard Sherman being there is almost like a validating presence. It's or um, Clay Matthews or something like that. That it's someone is so big that they're spreading their popularity and their light onto that product, which will make you want to buy that product more. If you're a fan of Richard Sherman and he's advertising Campbell's or beef jerky, although Stephen A. Smith is in those ads too, but you want to then go buy that. Demetrius Johnson doesn't. No one knows who he is, but but Demetrius Johnson is on UFC on Fox. And you'll see on Fox is going to attract 2 million plus males, 18 to 34, males, 18 to 49. He can put Xbox on the radar of MMA fans in a particular way. You have now removed that. Well, you're going to what? You're going to put Demetrius Johnson in an in a Xbox ad? No one's going to know who he is. Remember when Phil Davis was in a Sprite ad? No one knew who Phil Davis was except already MMA fans. That doesn't work. Someone has to be so popular that they then validate the product or popular in a particular area that can that can give that brand entry too. So I don't know what's going to happen with Demetrius Johnson and Xbox. I hope they find a way to take care of him or use him. That would be great. But the best use of him so far has been that Johnson introduces or you know uh, puts the Xbox logoing and a face to it, a very nice face. Everyone loves Demetrius Johnson. If they don't necessarily want to, you know, um, he's a, you know, listen, he's not the most popular fighter, but no one hates him. He seems like a good guy. But he gets bigger audiences on Fox than, um, than you know, at least two million plus, right? That's enough, and he brings MMA fans to that. That's that's now gone. So what is his value? When I say now, I mean you know July. Um, 
Someone's saying that, you know, Gary Cook was a bit of an issue when he was at Manchester City and that, you know, Dana raves about him. I would say that he's done a good job in UFC so far. So whatever he was at Manchester City, um, I'd say he's probably fine right now. He's, he's, there's nothing overly critical to say about him. False. Team Alpha Male has a prominent fighter above 155 in 2015. False. Team GFC has more than two wins in 2015 that isn't Ronda Rousey. True. Cerrone gets a title shot if he looks impressive against Jury. Might be true. The Reebok deal helps Bellator more than UFC. False. The Reebok deal is not bad for UFC. We can all agree to that, right? Whatever you think about what it is for fighters or sponsors, it's good for UFC. John Jones stuffs more than two takedowns, two DC takedowns. True. Gina Carano retires without fighting again. That seems really true. What's the bigger storyline? If both challengers win the title, which one provides a bigger storyline? Lawler realizing his potential or Melendez winning his belt in WC Strike Force and UFC? Got to be. Everyone's going to differ on this. For me, got to be Lawler. Got to be Lawler. Lawler is something of MMA's prodigal son, you know? If you came up with Lawler, you thought going to the Evan Tanner fight, he was going to blow Evan Tanner out and he winds up getting triangled. And, you know, and of course, he got knocked out by Diaz and it was just a show. And it was a weird thing, you know? And, and then he went away and was just sort of lackluster in strike force and then came on strong from that Koscheck fight and has been on fire and surprised so many people and looked so good and, and, you know, doing the things that everyone thought he could have done a long time ago and just never did. I'm not saying that's better than Melendez doing what you're saying he did, winning a title in WC. That's an older WC, but winning one, Strike Force and UFC. Um, you know, that's in the hell of an accomplishment. And I think it might shed a new light on Melendez in a way that, so, you know, what he's done to date hasn't, certainly. But I just feel like, fairly or unfairly, Lawler sort of has fan sympathy in a way that while people really respect Melendez and like him a lot, maybe not to that extent. Good. I'm glad someone asked about this, but we still have time. The Reebok deal is exciting for the UFC, but the news that the UFC is starting a rehab center and focused on injury prevention might end up being very important for the whole sport. What do you think? Can't wait to see what the mechanics of that deal is. If you saw the interview with Dana White and Ariel, he says that at the end of it, that they're building a rehab center in their, near their new or near or in their new Las Vegas offices that are currently being built. What does that mean? They're going to, you know, rehab guys themselves, spread best practices. What does that mean? That is something that we want to watch and, and monitor. It could be really, really big and important. No more fight for the troops. I have missed an announcement, but a Google search returned no results. What happened to the annual event? I just don't think it's an annual event anymore. I, I don't think they're going to not do it anymore. I just think they're going to do it on occasion. That's my understanding of it. Um, try to find something I can answer with the time limit. So what I asked a question. Walkout music. Will the UFC eventually phase out personal fighter walkout music choices and replace them with the generic UFC theme music? Is it possible? Um, before they had an ASCAP license, they used to. You guys may not remember this. Back in the deal, they, back in the day, they had a. Uh, UFC had their own record label, or at least Zufa had their own record label. And some of the guys would walk out to the, that music. I distinctly recall Tim Sylvia using it, I think, in the Gan McGee fight. 
um, they went. They eventually did away with it, and you know, whatever. So, but, but before they could afford, I think, an ASCAP license, which allows you to play things like Taylor Swift or, you know, any other major artists of any kind. Uh, they did that. Uh, they've since abandoned that, but I don't think they. I don't think they would go back to it. There's something about guys coming out to and audiences hearing music that they know and. But again, if they wanted to, could they? And the UFC and the fighters do nothing about it easily. On Twitter, real quick. This would mean that Silva's Burger King deal is dead now, too. I don't know if it's dead, but he, again, uh, unless they use him in Brazil for ads, which they might, uh, which they have. It won't be involved in any octagon stuff. Again, some of these guys who are big deals in their own country outside of the U.S., they might be in better shape to hold on to things because Anderson Silva is such a big star there that, for example, the light that Anderson Silva shines down can help influence customers to go to Burger King. But, again, Demetrius Johnson is not in that space, although I could be wrong. Uh, true or false, Junior Dos Santos fights with a heavyweight title in 2015. That is probably going to be true. Uh, someone says Messi is with Adidas, but I think the Barcelona jerseys are made by Nike. But he can wear his own shoes, right? He doesn't wear Nike shoes. And then, by the way, in the NBA, you can wear your own shoes now too. And uh, guys were getting fined, and the sponsor was paying the fine. You know. Let's see. Someone says, the, it appears to me the UFC is doing everything they can to keep a potential UFCPA from existing. He then also adds, the UFC is being the most, most benevolent of dictators to keep any unionization from happening. I would certainly say that, that the current way in which they structure the power does not provide a ton of incentive to the people who could actually affect change. If you're John Jones, you're probably going to be well taken care of, more or less. You're not going to necessarily need a lot of help or you know, uh, want to help other guys. More likely to happen, GSP returns to fight Weidman for the title or fights Rory for the title? God, uh, Rory, I guess. But I don't know if either is pretty likely. If UFC 181 turns out to be an event of the year-esque event, do you think it could relatively save 2014? Um, I don't think... I don't think... I think it'd be a great ending to the year and a great start. You know, it's 2014, a great, you know, lead into January 2015, but 2014's had its problems independent of that. Can you be a fan and not be fanatically biased? No. <laughs> it's not, I've had this discussion a thousand times. Removing bias altogether is impossible. Everyone's like, well, you can be an objective, unbiased journalist. No, you can't. The country you lived in, the amount of money your parents have, the race in which you are, the school you went to, the life experiences you've had, these all influence the way in which you think. And you can try your best, and some do, and some are, can succeed better than others, at removing how those you know, shape how you view the world and how the world impacts you. It is impossible to remove bias. The best that can be hoped for is that it is minimized and checked in other ways. But to go out and say, I love this organization, I'm a fan of it, and then it any organization, NFL, AARP, um, Target, 
and then say you're going to accurately report on it is nonsense. It is not possible. Not possible. Doesn't mean you can't get occasionally some good reporting on it, but you're always going to be limited. Always. Let's see here. Uh, one or two questions, then we get out of here because I know I'm running over time. McGeary versus John Jones. Could it, should it ever happen? Oh, let's slow down. McGeary's got his hands full with Emmanuel Newton, who he may not beat. There's still a lot about McGeary's ground game. We don't know. Uh, I would, I would, I would hit the, the the brakes a little bit on that one. I'll take one more, and then we shall. What is this? Someone literally asked an Illuminati question. Uh, Nate Diaz refuses Barboza. He was supposed to fight Nate Diaz, but Nate didn't accept the fight. Barboza's manager, Alex Davis, told MMA Fighting, who would have won and why? Probably Barboza, but Nate refusing to take – maybe not, though, because Nate would have lit him up. Um, probably Barboza, but what does Nate have to get from fighting him? A guy who is lesser ranked – or, you know, where is he ranked, actually, before I speak out of turn? Let's see. Or as bad or as good as these rankings are. I'll end on this. Uh, where is he ranked? That's in Barboza is ranked sixth. And Diaz is ranked 14th. Yeah, it would have been a bump up in rankings, but it's a really tough one to jump up ahead. And, you know, he's sort of getting what he wants now with Rafael Dos Anjos, which is a bit of a more manageable task. It's just sort of a different way in which to pick an opponent to advance. Um, smart, really, to be honest. Uh, Friday's event, will you be watching? I'll check the highlights for 1FC. If Robbie Lawler wins this weekend, is he fighter of the year? Yes. With the amount of times he's competed against, who he's competed against, and what he'll have won if he gets the lightweight, excuse me, the, the uh, welterweight title, for sure he'd be fighter of the year. All right. With that said, gentlemen, ladies, thank you so much for watching. Do me a favor. Please, please, please share this far and wide on various places where fans go on Reddit, on Sherdog, on MixedMartialArts.com, if you're so inclined, um, or on Facebook and on Twitter, places like that. I appreciate you joining. We'll have coverage of Invicta this weekend. Plenty of UFC coverage we're going to have. We're going to have um, uh, everything you could possibly want to cover all the events this weekend and more, and including this UFC Reebok deal. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. You may follow me on Twitter at sbnlukethomas. And uh, until next time, stay frosty. Thank you so much for watching. This will be up on iTunes and SoundCloud momentarily.